Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode number 90. Dave, welcome. Wow. wow. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're a guest or something. Like this Right. Welcome. I know, because we, we don't do these in person. I guess at some point, but, you know, quite frankly, they work fine this way. Yeah. Like, what, what's going on with everything? I know. It's been working it's, fine. Why change things now? It's a whole new world. The whole, <laughs> the impact of all of this. I mean, we've all heard it, but the, the work from home story, the remote working, the recording podcasts, not together. It's, it's all changing. You know, and I, on purpose, I guess, you said you had a lot to talk about, but I said, just surprise me, but. I don't know if this is one of the things you had to talk about, but now we've gone through, it's interesting, uh, probably a record number of podcasts where the stock market been down, where it's basically been, you know, yeah, that narrative, the narrative of all the other podcasts, three, five, have, has sort of gone away for all podcasts 85 and later. We've gone several now in a row where the market is just not so hot down, not even in the ballpark of its all-time high, which is really the stock market story of so far well, anyway of 2022. All right. So, you're, I mean, you're diving right into the, the opening show notes that I made, and I, I did actually make show notes here. Um, so let's let's get right into it because you're right. You know, frankly, the, the declines that we've seen since 2008 have been relatively brief. You know, obviously, we know that the coronavirus decline, while it was horrible in that one month, snapped back really quickly. And we haven't had, you know, big declines like that since 2008. But there have been, you know, some 17, 18, 19 percent declines. You know, I, I know it's even hard to remember now, but back in 2018, you know, we were worried that uh, global growth was slowing and China was not going to grow as much. There was an 18% decline, uh, but it basically only lasted, you know, a couple months there. So you're right, Dave. This this is pushing on. If if not longer than those other ones, it's it's getting pretty close at this point. And it's interesting so, because the reasoning for it is similar so far to 
that time we decided to uh, haul off to Baltimore to go to that conference with that Fed, retired Fed vice <laughs> chair guy, um, who was basically gloom and doom saying, it was like 10 years ago, quantitative yeah. easing is ending, interest rates are going to go up, and you're just going to see the market go down. Well, the guy's prediction was only 10 years off. <laughs> right. He wasn't wrong. He was just early, right? <laughs> A yeah, exactly. decade early. Um, yeah, but you're right, because, I mean, you think back to, you know, to that time period, we actually went back and looked when we saw that guy talk, and we've told this story before, but it was back in 2013 where he was talking about how the Fed was going to raise interest rates and they were going to stop these asset purchases. And, you know, that basically was going to lead to the market correcting by 25%, you know, and everybody should just, you know, stick everything in treasuries or, or something safe and not invest in the market. Um, sort of a similar situation right now. You know, the Fed raising interest rates, no longer doing that quantitative easing. Um, you know, of course, we've got the inflation question, whatever you want to call it, thrown in there as well. So, you know, the question is, you know, was that guy right or is that the situation we're in now? So, Here's here's some notes that I made right now, right now being April 25th. I know it always takes a couple days before you guys hear this, but April 25th, stock market is down over 11% off of its highs. If you're looking at small cap stocks or international stocks, or certainly if you're looking at technology stocks, um, you're looking at even bigger declines. You know, at, at some point, some of those even touched in that 20% range, you know, which would officially be a bear market. Now, that's interesting as a euphemism for, you know, something that's not great. Um, that's interesting. But I think, and what, what I've said is even more interesting, is what the bond market has done this year. And Dave, the bond market, the broad bond market is down almost 10% year to date. Wow. And that's absolutely incredible simply because in the past, when stocks have gone down, when stocks have, you know, had these time periods where they're, they're down 10 or 20%, bonds have been that natural asset class that rallies and it's sort of a safe haven. And I think most investors have sort of gotten used to the idea that I have this balanced portfolio. If stocks are down, then my bonds will be up and I'll just take withdrawals from my bonds for a while and then stocks will recover and then I, everything will go back to normal. So, you know, this idea that, that bonds are down 10%, that's, that's troubling for a lot of investors. It is. I, I should interrupt right now for our clients who are thinking, oh, my God, my bonds are down 10%. Um, no. You have been kind of like that Fed guy, but with bonds, <laughs> because we've been, we've been predicting interest rates would be rising forever now, and we've always, for the most part, tried to keep our clients in the short duration stuff. Uh, I guess anticipating, but – anticipating pretty early because, you know, we've been going through this speech with clients for a long time. What's finally happening, 
again now. Right. And yeah, and you're you're right. I mean, I say the broad bond market is down almost 10%. You know, most of the bond investments that we have are down, you know, 3, 4, 5%, which believe me, I'm, you know, I'm not thrilled to be down that much. And I, I will talk about sort of broader how we, you know, diversify. Um, but you're right. I mean, we've held the belief for a long time that the place of bonds in the portfolio was not to try to take risk and, and squeeze out a few extra basis points there. The place of bonds in the portfolio was, was supposed to be that stability. So first, let me talk about, you know, why bonds are down so much and what that means going forward. And then let's talk about portfolio positioning and you know, how we diversified and have diversified beyond, you know, just stocks and bonds. So, you know, some people, they, they want the, the real quick and dirty explanation of why would bonds be down so much. Um, the, the easiest way to understand it is let's look at a 10-year government bond from a year ago. A 10-year government bond a year ago was paying you interest of about 1.8%. So that meant if you went out and you bought a 10-year government bond, you would get 1.8% per year, and at the end of the 10 years, you'd get your money back. And that's great. You could, you know, if you could live with that, that's fine. Uh, what's happening now is a 10-year government bond is paying 2.8 or 2.9%, somewhere in that range. So what's happened is if you're one of those people owning the 1.8% bonds, Nobody wants to buy that for full value. You know, why would they want to buy that for full value when you can get a brand new one for 2.8? So the value of your underlying investment has gone down. Now, that's, like I said, quick and dirty explanation of the bond market. Obviously, if you own a bond fund, it's much more complicated than that because you don't own one bond. You own hundreds of bonds that are maturing at all different times. So, of course, the reason why we've said stay on the shorter end of the yield curve, meaning have those bonds in your portfolio maturing in two or three years instead of seven, eight, nine, ten years, is because now when interest rates have gone up, yes, you have some short-term pain, but the yield has actually gone up. Now, isn't this what we've all been crying about that we can't get any yield on our short-term investments or safe investments, I should say. Yeah. And now it's just, it's just to get there. I think uh, <laughs> you'd like it to magically happen. I can just get more yield on my investments in safer scenarios, but it's, there's, there's a little pain on the right. Road. But at the end of the day, this is sort of what we're looking for. And to add on top of that, because I'm also uh hawkish on uh, on what the Fed is doing. I'm sort of in favor of it, whatever they're, the hawkish stuff that they're doing. Yeah, I think it's good to have some ammo there in the Fed's pocket for the next Great Recession, whatever huh. that is. And with interest rates at zero, there was no ammo there to deal yeah. with whatever might happen five, ten years from now, where being able to lower interest rates to really help the economy, uh, well, that was that was huge in the Great Recession and almost impossible to do again unless you have what's going on now. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They, you know, they can't sit there with interest rates at zero and have 
you know, no ammunition left. They like to say, you know, when coronavirus hit and they cut rates to zero, oh, yeah, we've still got plenty of other ammunition that we could utilize. But the fact of the matter is, with rates that low, they're they're relatively limited as to what they can do. Um, now, I'm you know, I, on this bearish stuff going on, <laughs> to use financial phraseology. Well, that, you're bullish on the bearish stuff. I'm bullish on all this bearish stuff going on. We need to have the market actually yeah. decline for a while. Historically, you're never going to get to where you want to go without it. We need interest rates to go up. It, at least a lot of our listeners right. be able to have money there in the future that, you know, that they can get, that they don't have to take big risk and get some return. And what I said before about the Fed having some uh, some tools in the toolbox for the next crisis. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. I'm bullish on the bearish events of today. No, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you step back, it's always hard in the moment, but if you step back and you say, okay, is this the right thing you know, you can have discussions about should the Fed have done this sooner? Or are they a little late? Blah, blah, blah. But you step back and you say, is this the right thing? You know, we do need to go through this pain to get to the place we need to be. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's it's the right move there. Now, I, I did want to take a step back from, you know, specifically looking at these returns just to talk about a discussion we've had with a lot of people um, you know, around this idea of diversifying beyond bonds. And, I mean, frankly, this has been a discussion we've had, you know, for the last 10 or 12 years or so, um, you know, going all the way back to 2008, is, you know, talking about this idea of just a 60-40 portfolio and you should be fine to saying, well, you know, maybe we should diversify beyond that. And specifically, you know, we've utilized tools like annuities, um, you know, whether that's fixed indexed annuities, variable annuities, any of those where we've said, okay, instead of having extra exposure to bonds, you know, look what can happen in bonds. Is It's not all guaranteed. I'm going to get these returns. They never go down. So utilizing an allocation, you know, I've heard some people talk about instead of 60-40, we should be 60-20-20 or 60-25-15, you know, whatever the, the final numbers wind up being. You know, we've had this thought for quite a while that you, you can't just have that money in bonds um, and you're much better off, like I said, specifically the annuities that we've utilized where you can get returns that that aren't correlated to bonds, but we've also used real estate investments in there as well. Um, and I think, you know, some of those real estate, I always say sort of falls in between stocks and bonds in terms of, you know, stocks, we've got those big upside potential, but we've got big loss potential as well. Um, bonds, you know, this is the worst losses that we've seen in 40 years, but, you know, we're, we're, we don't have, the big swings like we do in stocks. And I put real estate sort of, you know, somewhere in between that. So, yeah, well, you know what? I, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because yeah. I lose the thoughts as I get older. I need the thoughts need to come out. But All right. there's really two 
market advisors doing the kind of planning we do. One school of thought is for long-term growth, stocks, funds, whatever, and that's it. And for, you know, for the short-term stuff and for protection, I guess, and liquidity, it's bonds. Right. And that's one school of thought. Our school of thought is more there is a – there's stocks, which is long-term growth, and obviously more volatility. There's bonds, which you, most people need for, you know, and in the, you know, you'll get some return over time, certainly in the short duration, but, you know, liquidity is a big factor there. And then yep. there's this in-between stuff in the toolbox, like annuities, like you talked about, like various real estate investments and things that are better for, you know, you can start to prove out statistically, makes sense for long-term yeah. money, but you don't want to be want the volatility of stocks. Um, I just see two different schools of thought with different advisors. We're certainly in the latter camp. No, and, and I mean, we've, we've used the analogy, we've probably beaten it to death of the tools in the toolbox that you've got to look at all the things that are, that are available and out there. And I've even talked about, you know, utilizing in the right situation, life insurance for clients, um, you know, as that tax deferred fixed income substitute sort of, you know, alternative in there, um, you know, the annuities, the real estate, you know, I, I, I think you've got to think beyond that. Now, I would caution people against going too crazy and saying, oh, okay, so they, they think we should be in alternatives. Now we should put everything in Bitcoin and Dogecoin and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, those are alternatives, but you know, what we're trying to do in most cases is lower the risk profile or lower the correlation. Um, and those things might be diversifiers, but they're also super risky. And not saying it's not for, for anyone. You know, there are some people out there who that would fit, but that's for a lot of clients who are in retirement or getting close to it. Increasing the risk is not what they're looking for. Right. And um, I always get, like, frustrated reading CNBC and other sites that we read, frustrated as if I'm a consumer, because all you read is sort of black or white. And this is – it's like versus the gray area of what we end up doing based on a client situation where <laughs> not waste people's time talking about this anymore. If you have time, if you take the time to plan out, you, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things like we keep saying tools in the toolbox that we can do to actually you know your situation as good as possible for your risk tolerance. Yeah. Versus what I think you read on financial sites, which makes it seem like it's you're black and white. I'm going to be all conservative or all aggressive. Yeah. No, and I mean that's that's also a good point. Is you know if you took each one of our clients and lined up their portfolios next to each other. And I'll say even our own personal clients and my mom's portfolio and, you know, all this, none of them are going to be exactly the same. You know, they're all going to use, I mean, there's a, a defined set of investments and tools that we use. So, you know, we're invested in the same stuff that our clients are, but they're not, they're not going to be exactly the same because everybody's situation is a little bit different. So, you know, yeah. does Dave have a little bit more of this than that? And, you know, it's it's all going to be a little bit different there. Um, and I, I definitely agree that, you know, the financial media makes it sound like, and, you know, for the sake of an article, they kind of have to, 
you know, okay, here is the one solution and this is the best, that's the worst, you know, you must follow this. Um, in reality, it's, it's not that black and white. All right. I want to shift gears here a little bit, Dave, because we had a, a client who sent us, this was a couple weeks ago, uh, almost a month ago now. Jeez. Um, he sent us these questions and I, I told, he said, Oh, you know, maybe you could just answer these in the next podcast. And I, I told him, I said, Tim, you, these are phenomenal questions. I will address them in the next podcast because I think everybody should hear them. But I actually went ahead and emailed him back the answers right away because I thought he deserved the answers right now. Um, so let me go through a couple questions that, that Tim put to us here. Um, his first question was about tax loss harvesting. Um, we have talked about this in the past. I think we probably, was it November or December, we did a, a podcast that talked all about this, um, you know, some of the tax planning that we do. But this has become something we've done, done a heck of a lot of this year. But the strange thing about what we've done for tax loss harvesting this year is it, it's been in bonds more than it's been in stocks. So first, let me explain what it is. Um, tax loss harvesting basically says, let's say you put $100,000 into an investment at the beginning of the year. And for these purposes, let's say it was into U.S. large cap U.S. stocks. And now your investment's at $90,000. And that stinks because obviously you wanted your money to go up, but you're a long-term investor and you plan on staying invested. What you are allowed to do is you are allowed to sell that original investment and buy a different, can't be the same one, but buy a different mutual fund ETF or even if you're talking individual stocks, you could buy a different individual stock in the same sector. Um, now, what that allows you to do is on paper, you just lost $10,000. And when you go to do your taxes next year, you know how, Dave, everybody this year was uh, was complaining about all the capital gains from last year? Yeah. Last year was a Pretty good year in the market. If you owned any mutual funds, they probably had some capital gains distributions. Well, these losses help you offset any sort of capital gains or capital gains distributions. And you can even use it against ordinary income. So you can use 3000 against ordinary income, offset any other losses. Um, you know, if you don't use it all up, you can carry it forward to the next year. So right. and, I, and we should remind people, and I know this is a little remedial, but this is not for your investments that are in 401ks or IRAs. Or oh, stuff thank like you. This. this is this is all after-tax stuff. That is a a good point, right? Because if you say, "Oh, Steve, that sounds fantastic," you know, I've got two million dollars in my IRA. Can we do this? No, this only applies to non-qualified accounts, so non-IRA accounts. Um, now, why I say we've been doing this a lot in bonds this year is normally we do this tax loss harvesting and it's when the stock market declines. You know, in uh, 2020 with the coronavirus decline, did, did plenty of it back then. Now, we're actually seeing these declines in bonds. 
Um, and in particular, you know, I didn't even talk about specifically municipal bonds, um, but municipal bonds have really sold off pretty hard. So, you know, if you're a client of ours and you've seen some of this activity and you said, well, that's really weird. They just moved from, uh, you know, whatever ABC municipal bond fund to XYZ municipal bond fund. It, it looks like I'm just moving from one municipal to another. Why would they do that? Well, it's to harvest those losses there. Um, and, you know, everybody on the end, you know, if you manage that stuff on your own, you should be aggressive about that. You know, go ahead and do that and don't, don't leave that money on the table there. All right. The next, uh, the next question from Tim, he said, tax drag. What is that? He said he understands aerodynamic drag, um, because he's a, a, you know, technical guy who would understand that stuff very well. We, you and I, Dave, we'd be totally lost talking about aerodynamic drag. Not um, even in the ballpark. So tax drag's pretty easy. It, it's basically, if you've got an investment that returned, you know, 8% per year, but every year they have taxable distributions of 2% of, you know, of that 8%, well, you didn't really earn that full 8% because you had to pay taxes on some of that growth. Um, so that's an important thing to look at. You know, we, we, strongly prefer, and, you know, anybody should, you know, very tax-efficient investments, ones that don't have too many capital gains distributions, um, you know, so there are mutual funds that focus on that, or ETFs or index funds that, that tend to be much more tax-efficient. Once again, like you said earlier, that does not matter when you're talking about a retirement account. All right, question number three. And I told Tim he is one of probably five people who have ever asked me this question. Um, but I think it's fun to answer questions like this. Um, just, I don't want to say flaunting knowledge, but, you know, it's kind of cool when there's a subject that you know a lot about and somebody asks you a detailed question. Um, you know, Dave, if, if somebody was asking you about, like, you know, uh, early 90s Redskins wide receivers. I mean, you, you probably crush it on that, right? Oh, I would be anything <laughs> like that, absolutely. Or things, little tidbits about the golf swing. I'm also oh good. yeah, I'm you'd be you'd be all over that. If they were if they were asking you, um, gosh, why am I blanking on your guru uh, for the golf swing? Ben Hogan. Man, it's ben Hogan. Jeez, I need more coffee. What's your problem? Ah, oh. um, all right, so. Tim email, he said, what about the Meyer Rickenstein tax torpedo? I'm sure that these are names oh, of please. economists. But he said, interestingly, these are also names of World War II U-boat captains. Um, and I'm sure Tim would, would be able to answer lots of questions about World War II U-boat captains, which I actually am a big, you know, World War II buff, but man, I don't know anything about U-boat captains. Um, so what he's talking about here is the tax torpedo. Um, let's take a step back and let's talk about your social security benefits and the second. way is this called, wait, is this called the Meyer, what's this Rickenstein called? tax torpedo? Most of the time the I just hear Rickenstein tax torpedo. 
Yeah. And you're telling and you're telling me this is not mainstream, and you have to be a financial geek to be interested. Is this what you're saying? Oh, big time! I thought, I thought everybody knew about the whatever you just called it, tax torpedo. <laughs> I well, I would say the first part of that doesn't get much run. It's really just called the tax social security tax torpedo. <laughs> Um, but I, I was familiar with the uh, the white paper or whatever it is that, that refers to those economists. Um, so let's take a step back and talk about how your Social Security benefits are taxed. Um, your Social Security benefits are taxed based on your overall income. And it, it's kind of a moving target because you've got your non-Social Security income and then a portion of your Social Security income but for simplicity purposes, let's just say your Social Security benefit could be taxed, 85% of it could be taxable income, right? So there's this threshold here where it can go from 50% of it could be taxable up to 85% could be taxable. And the, the whole idea is that if you're – let me give you an example here. You're a single woman, and if your total income is $12,000 a year, well, your Social Security is only 50% taxable. That's pretty easy. Um, but if you're a single woman and your income is $43,000, then your Social Security is 85% taxable. But because, like I said, it's this moving target there, at that point, each additional dollar of income has a marginal tax rate of 41%. Now, this is very, this is hard to understand even if you're looking at the graph, but it's hard to understand if you're not looking at this graph. But the idea is that if you're really close to that threshold, and it's a little bit different if you're married, um, but if you're really close to that threshold, each additional dollar of income is taxed at a much higher rate than what the normal tax brackets would suggest. Now, if none of that made sense, but you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I'm husband and wife, married, filing jointly, our income's like $100,000, forget about it. You don't have to worry about it. Um, you know, it's really if you're in that that threshold right close to the limit of where Social Security is is maximally taxed there. All right. That's probably well, what you not. Can, can, can you do anything about this? Well, I mean, that it just comes down to if you're in that, that area there, um, you would probably want to avoid any other sort of taxable income and just get income – from your non-qualified, your maybe even Roth IRAs, something like that, um, because you would know that you're you're being taxed at such a high rate there. Right. So this is a good cocktail party conversation for people in there. <laughs> Certainly over 65 as a general rule. Saying like, uh, yeah, I know you're getting your income, and, and I'm sure you're you've been watching out for the Rickenstein tax torpedo. So. <laughs> They'll go, what, 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 what about the Rickenstein tax torpedo? What? Yeah, that, that one goes beyond even flaunting there. You, you'd have to sit down with a cocktail napkin and start drawing some charts there. I would. No, you wouldn't. That's you crazy. You would say whatever you want that's close to it and people would just buy it. <laughs> You're right.
they can't even Google you on that one without wasting too much of their time. All right. I, I think we've covered enough for today. Anything else you wanted to hit? Nothing. Okay. All right. Well, um, I hope everybody's staying safe out there. Hope everybody's healthy. And uh, we'll check in again with you real soon. 